Frankie Boy. What's happening, pal? It's Joe Ganascoli, Dito from The Sopranos. How the fuck are you? Oh, are you playing it? <laughs> I was. Or <laughs> uh, Jim with Christia Friedland. Christia Uh-oh. Friedland, a- Adam Friedland's mom. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I wish I could come up with a better joke than the one that's in my head because one that's in my head is very cruel. But okay, I don't like those kinds of jokes, Vias. <laughs> it's a sad one. It's not a good one. Well, that was definitely more time bullshitting than I wanted, but that's okay. Bonjour, comment ça va? Bienvenue à Roxy Fever. I am your host, Jackson McDonald. With me as always. Uh, comment s'appelle-tu, Biosran? <laughs> uh, je m'appelle Elliot Hoyt. Jim Apple, J.D. Burke. Jim Apple, <laughs> the next GM of the... Oh, uh, God. We are recording on the evening just before the game, actually, on the evening of January 25th, 2021. Uh, the Canucks have just completed a three game stint against the Montreal Canadiens. So, who better to join us than resident expert on the Montreal Canadiens and the province of Quebec, JD Burke? JD, how's it going? Oh, boy. I'm not even sure I'm allowed to respond to that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've signed some documents. Uh, I've signed the documents uh, that, that pro- prohibit that sort of behavior. documents. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no, I'm, I'm hanging in there. I mean, it's it's a crazy busy time right now at ringside, like just sprinting from one meeting to the next. I haven't actually had a meal yet today, but oh boy, uh, yeah. that's that's overrated, right? Yes. So uh, I'm happy. Can I recommend? Do you, can I recommend some? Uh, what's French food? Uh, fuck. Holy poutine. Poutine. Jesus poutine. Christ. Jesus. Just a fucking chimp on a tricycle banging <laughs> symbols where Vias's brain is supposed to be. Okay. That was close. That That's, was close. Actually, it's not even on a tricycle. That's it's in so, a WRX. So you know. Chimp <laughs> <laughs> driving a WRX. <laughs> oh my god uh jd admetre 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 vous que vous êtes racist <laughs> okay okay go easy on him he was nice enough to come on oh, um, in french i'm gonna lose all my jobs every single one I, I i really hope that all the painting jobs are also not somehow like monopolized by, by quebecers <laughs> so you can't even return to that job i don't even know what you're talking about right now pal <laughs> <laughs> the first thing I wanted to ask you is, uh, does how often does it become a problem that you are the uh, managing editor of Rink Side and the host of Rink Wide? So it's something people. Oh my god! Of? Yeah, I, I thought you made a mistake when you mentioned that earlier. <laughs> it's definitely like a thing. So like when when Wadden is interning with Sakaris and Price. Uh, they they like to poke fun at him. They'll be like ringside on Saturday, and he's like, oh, he gets all pissed off because that's what Wadden does, right? Like he he goes ginger supernova, and uh, he's very easy to rile up. So so Sakaris and Blake they they like to pull the ringside one, uh, and then and then Sakaris also just accidentally gets the two confused all the time. 
I'll be like, uh, JD, JD. I uh, I really like Bonnie Henry's conference last week, but if you could uh, remind me, w- which one is it? Rink side or rink wide? You know, and so it's it's a little bit that of that does both. sound like Matt. Actually, can you, can you do some more? Uh, some more Matt Scaris. Uh, some um, can you do Blake Price? Okay. Blake is too. Yeah, hard. Blake is really yeah, too hard. hard. It's yeah. too. He's his voice is distinctive, but it's too normal. Yeah, 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 yeah you're right. You're right. Yeah, it's the same. It, Drance would be another one who'd be really hard to do. Would you <laughs> ever be willing to do J-Pat? Yeah, you could do his air? laugh. I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah. You you get, do you guys know the infamous Premium, like Stewie Premium Griffin content. laugh from like old 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 Family Guy? That's exactly what Drance's laugh sounds like. <laughs> yeah, that's the yeah. one. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, and and they have um, a very similar worldview. One built on on revanchism and spite. Um, <laughs> I think politically they're pretty aligned. I would agree. If I remember Family Guy correctly. Um, So, anyways, uh, I guess since we had you on the show specifically to talk about the Montreal Canadiens and Mm. uh, the province of Quebec, the first thing that I I wanted to ask you before we get into the Canucks stuff, which is obviously, you know, the most important and pressing matter, but I did just want to ask, like, did you expect the Canadians to look as good as they have through these uh, through the early goings here? Because I know. When we had PJ on the show, he said they were probably the second best team in the division behind Toronto. But I'm starting to think that they might even be the best team in the division. I don't know. What do you think? Of course he does. JD loves everything Quebec. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, like if if you listened to rink wide when we did our season preview, I thought that the Habs had a really good chance to be second in the uh the Honda, Scotia, um, <laughs> Apple, McDonald's, North Division. Uh, so, like, their two-way profile. Well, yeah, that's the kind of thing that's actually going to get you fired. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I genuinely thought that their two-way profile and just, like, Claude Julien's history of always getting uh, really sound two-way results out of every team that he mm. coaches, right? Like, even if Montreal didn't have, like, that high-end finishing talent, that that really kind of distinguish the Canucks from them, right? Like the Canucks were the team with the poor profile, but they could finish because they had top end talent. Uh, Montreal was pretty much the antithesis to that last season. And, and you look at some of the moves they made. I mean, like Joel Edmondson, uh, low key, horrible move, right? Like it's an unprecedented yeah. buyer's market and they're prioritizing a, a number five or six uh, and surrendering a, a premium asset and a draft pick and, and cap space to make it happen. Uh, I think you could really apply that logic to some degree as well to Josh Anderson, but they also brought into Foley. Uh, that was a really great addition. I, I don't know why he was on the market for so cheap. I wonder what that's about. <laughs> Um, and, and you know what, like the Jake Allen thing, I, I, again, kind of find myself landing on like in an unprecedented buyer's market where everybody was there for pennies on the dollar. Did it really make sense in that year to surrender a premium asset again in a draft pick and three and a half million for a one B goaltender? Like, uh, I don't know. And then it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I think the Edmondson move or the, the Anderson trade or the uh, Josh Allen, like they, they clearly improved the team. There's no denying that, but I think they got a little bit too much praise for the way that they navigated this season, particularly when one considers the fact that there weren't many teams that had actual uh, cash to spend. And apparently Montreal was one of them. And instead of prioritizing, let's say Taylor Hall, uh, that money went to, to Josh or sorry, Jake Allen and uh, you know, 
uh, well, and to Josh Edmondson. Anderson too, yeah. right? Because they did they did sign they did have to sign Anderson when they traded for him. Right? Yes, exactly. And yeah, and yeah. and Anderson had them in over a barrel, right? So absolutely, uh, yeah. they they put themselves in a tough spot there. So like I I think they could have done much much better this offseason, and I'm not sure I understand all the praise that Bergevin got for it. But I mean, ultimately, they made a, a team that was pretty strong at five on five better. And so, like, does it surprise me that this team is is looking really strong right now in this division? I mean, no, because you get a step up from uh, Nick Suzuki. You get um, Kasperi Kotkaniemi playing better hockey. Like, the ingredients were there for this group to take a step forward. And then you look at the division they're competing in. Uh, there's a lot of really poor five-on-five hockey teams, the Canucks foremost among them. And then you also look at the Edmonton Oilers, the Ottawa Senators, like in terms of, of playing a sustainable, uh, durable brand of, of hockey at even strength, like the, the Habs had as good a shot as anyone outside of Toronto Maple Leafs uh, to, to really kind of play that brand of hockey that, that kind of augurs uh, playoff success and, and, and all that fun stuff. So like I think this team has a pretty low ceiling because of the lack of finishing talent. Like sure. there's, there's probably a limit to how far Claude Julien can push this roster. But I think that they also have a pretty high floor just because like, you know, carry prices in decline. Sure. But the decline is from pretty high up. Right. Like he's still a totally yeah. competent uh, NHL goaltender. And, and now he doesn't have to play as much either because they uh, went ahead and, and invested a, a hearty amount of, of capital in the backup goaltender position. So, like, I think this team absolutely for me was was the number two in the division and uh you know, if, if Freddie Anderson continues to be a pumpkin in Toronto, well, that opens things up to uh, the potential for them to run away with the division period. So, yeah, not really all that surprised by their success. I just think they could have actually squeezed this this orange a little bit more if you catch my drift. Like, I think they could be doing so yeah. much better if they just navigated the offseason a bit differently. So, uh, you know, bright future there. Man, does Nick Suzuki ever look good? Oh yeah. If only uh, somebody could have seen that coming, you know, like uh, maybe, maybe one of the two of us or even both of us. Yeah. Well, we were the um, only ones who noticed Nick Suzuki. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I mean, I think I had him, I, I, I think I had him at five on my list though. Like I fucking loved Nick Suzuki. I think I had Everybody him between like five and 10. Like he, he, yeah, he looked really yeah. good in junior and like last year, his, his numbers at evens were really ugly, but like, what do you expect from like a first year rookie? Right. Like yeah, even yeah. if his, his five on five numbers were, were like pretty standard or piss poor, even like I'm willing to let that slide. If you're as productive as he was in year and one young too, and right? young, like he too. was the same, same draft as Patterson. Yeah. Right? And did he have anybody to really support him that year? Either? Uh, like I yes. learned it. Montreal yeah, had a roster last episode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. He just learned that Montreal had a team last episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he thinks we're talking about funny. the Nordiques right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, you To go from uh, one of the best teams in the division on paper to one of the worst, at least on paper, um, Canucks will be facing off against Ottawa tonight. When I went on uh, your roommate's show locked on. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, that's Justin Morissette. Great show. You should go listen to it. Uh, but not until you finish this. You guys live together? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I thought you could have coasted yeah. through that. Just deafening bit. silence. Yeah. Uh, um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what answer you were I mean, going I for. Somebody else wouldn't know this because they never talk about it. Yeah. 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 I mean, um, we don't have a name for this house or anything. That was weird that he was always over whenever I'd come by. <laughs> 
So when I went to the when I when I went on, well, Justin and I both agreed that for like just basically to keep this market sane, the Canucks have to win two of these three games. Mm-hmm. Do you think the Senators are going to give them a tougher time than maybe some of us are going to give credit for? Or do you think this is that's an easy task or what do you think? Well, like, I, I think the Senators like there are some really good pieces or some pieces that are on the verge of being very good. And then there's also Eric Branson, Nikita Zaitsev and Josh Brown. Uh, so it's a land of contrast is what I'm trying to trying to say about Ottawa here. Um, mm-hmm. And they play fast. Like that's something that's really stuck out for me uh, through some of these early games is just like how quickly uh, Ottawa moves the puck up ice and, and transitions and they counterattack. And one thing you're really noticing about the Canucks this year is just how slow this group is. Like, I don't know if keeping uh, Chris Tanev is really the, the salve to that, right? Like, I don't think he was going to improve team <laughs> speed, but, but maybe going from Troy Stetcher to Travis Hamannick decreases the team speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe going from a situation where Gaudette hasn't improved his two-way game to the point where he can hold down that 3C spot. Now you've got Brandon Sutter and Jay Beagle holding down the middle of your lineup on lines uh, three and four. Like, this group uh, is, is really slow. Like a lot of these goals are breakaways, right? And it's it's a lot of situations where players get behind the Canucks blue line and they can't recover quickly enough. And and like I, I think that some of the people they've put into these spots, like Ole Levy, like we knew this was one of his problems coming into the season. Uh, you know, and and we kind of assumed too that like Edler uh, he's going to get slower as he gets older. And and really he looks so just like not prepared to play the minutes the Canucks need him to play. Right. Like he was barely clinging to that uh, at the end of last season and in the bubble, but he's so clearly like somebody who should be playing in a sheltered uh, second at most or third pairing role. Like he can't keep up with the modern game. Like he can't keep up with uh, first and second line uh, that, that that's focused on speed. So I look at Ottawa I look at them and and the way that their forward group is composed and and particularly with the additions of Josh Norris and Tim Stutzla, uh, they're going to have a lot of that. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Canucks struggled with this group, because I just don't know like how they break out of this funk. I mean, like even Saturday, you look at this group and you go, well, that's a lineup that's too short of what they were on opening night. Like this isn't, you can't blame injuries for this right now. And, and they just looked like they were skating in quicksand. So like when you get an even younger team in Ottawa, like for all their flaws, that group is really mobile. Like even some of the worst players on that team, Eric Branson and Nikita Zaitsev and Josh Brown, like they can move. And, and I just don't know like how the Canucks can keep up with that, especially because so much of the way that they generate their offense in terms of their systems has been counterattacking. Like we saw that in the bubble, the Canucks would get shelled, get shelled, get shelled. And then they'd have one person high in the defensive box who was free to roam. And as soon as they recovered the puck, they would transition up ice with force. Right. And so I, I think like a lot of people are wondering, why aren't they trapping it up? Why aren't they trapping it up? Well, they didn't really trap it up last year, but they attacked in the way that you would if you were a trapping team, which is to say on the counterattack. You can't do that with this team. Like, I, I like I don't know what the answer is because they're so slow. Uh, so, yes, I do think they are susceptible to <laughs> some ugly matches against Ottawa. And like the other thing, too, is they're just not getting uh, a save right now. Like, it's not as if they are in a situation where their goaltenders are drastically underperforming. Like 
I saw the ClearSight analytics uh, numbers for for the expected goals they surrendered once you adjust for like pre-shot movement and everything. Um, so the Canucks, who got shelled against Montreal, only surrendered three additional goals on top of what they should have given up. So it's not like they're being let down by their goaltenders. Uh, so it's just like there's just a cavalcade of, of reasons why this group is, is really in tough. Uh, there's no help coming. Like there's no reinforcements on the way. Uh, and, and some of these teams that they have to compete against on a night in night out basis, like Ottawa, uh, they, they've got the kind of weapon that is really good at striking at the Canucks Achilles heel. So do I think they're susceptible to getting, uh, getting in tough with a team, even as poor as Ottawa? Yes, absolutely. And boy, oh boy, will things ever pick up in terms of the intensity of the conversations in this market? If that is the case, like if they lose two of three, Wow, you'd hate to be Jim Benning if, if that's what's going on at that point, right? Because, uh, I mean, we're already hearing calls from people who are well-connected that suggest that he might be on the hot seat. Well, I mean, how much hotter can it get? I guess we'll find out if the Canucks don't turn things around. Yeah, I um, I also wanted to ask you, like, the uh, what is that sound? Oh, that's downtown Vancouver. Sorry about that. Okay. Okay. No, that's all right. I just wanted to, I was just, I was just making sure that Vias wasn't like fucking around with something in the background. <laughs> Which is just, never Vias is causing a drug crisis yeah. just yeah. to fuck up our recording. <laughs> yeah. um, no, uh, I stole all I, the croutons from uh, shoppers. What I wanted to ask you is that uh, like, obviously a lot of people, myself included, and probably yourself as well, definitely thought the Canucks would do a lot worse last year than they did. And so now that we're seeing some of these chickens kind of come home to roost and the team regressing, but also losing a lot of their big pieces. The thing that I wanted to ask you is basically like how much of this was inevitable? Like was the team always this bad really? Or is this just that, you know, Jacob Markstrom and uh, Chris Tanev and Tyler Toffoli meant that much to the team. And now they're so much worse off. Yeah, I think that like I've got a lot of thoughts on this. Uh, like, I think the first thing is people take for granted, like because the star players on the Canucks are all uh, in that age where they're supposed to improve. Right. Like you have mm-hmm. to ask yourself how much more runway for improvement does a Brock Besser or Jake Vertanen or an Adam Gaudet or an Elias Pettersson have? And I think the answer is is different in each case, but uh, then you go down the lineup, right? You go Edler's getting older, Sutter's getting older, Beagle's getting older, Roussel, right? So like basically all these insulation and support pieces who were the, the hindrance to this group last year, every single one of them is coming to camp and coming to this season a year older and, and that much slower and that much further away from their peak. And so, like, I think people often just kind of glossed over that fact, right? And I don't know why that occurred, because if you were watching the bubble last year, like, Alexander Edler looked really, really close to done. And and you don't want to, like, write off somebody who's given so much to the organization. And, and like, I get that, right? But the, the fact of the matter is, like, he can't hang anymore. And Brandon Sutter can't hang anymore. And Jay Beagle can't hang anymore. And so... Like, how do you cover for that? Well, the Canucks found a way last season. They counterattacked and they had a top six that was among the best in hockey. And and the reason it was at that point was because the fit between Tyler Toffoli and that group was so strong. It was so good. Like he he was what that group needed. Like he can make plays. Uh, he he adds to their two-way profile. And and then you take that out. 
right? That's a huge loss. But then you also lose somebody like a Josh Levo. And and how important was he to this group? I mean, I, I think that that's something we've taken for granted as well. The idea that they could lose this kind of Swiss army knife in the middle six and, and just not notice it. And so like a lot of really valuable contributors who kind of abated the worst elements of this group, right? Because Tyler Toffoli and Josh Levo are two players who are going to improve your two-way numbers. They're going to improve your control of play at five on five. Okay, so you take those two parts out from a lineup that is already getting slaughtered at five on five whenever Elias Pettersson isn't on the ice and you replace it with Jake Vertanen and 19, 20-year-old Niels Hoaglander, like, of course this was going to be a, a massive step back. And, you know, I, I think that the Canucks, too, like, bear a lot of the blame for this, like, in an unprecedented buyer's market. And I'll keep saying that because I think it's such a crucial, like, fulcrum to any conversation about this offseason. Like, they prioritize Jace Harluck. Like they yeah. lost two top six forwards, two of the rare ones in this group that can actually move the needle, the needle at five on five. And they replaced him with a 13th forward. Like Dominic Cahoon was right there for the taking at a million dollars. And there, there are countless other examples to that end. And for some reason they felt compelled to use their one ticket, the one chance they had to spend actual cash on Jace Harlock. Like they put him in the lineup tomorrow. What does that change for this group? Absolutely nothing. So like those losses were so substantial and some of the worst parts of this group were only going to get worse with the additional time. So like, I just think that there are too many factors that are working against this group. And a lot of it is this management team's doing. And, and of course you, you look at the, the argument about whether they could or couldn't have bought out Brandon Sutter. And, and I think that the tap was turned off by ownership but, but like, why is he there in the first place? Why is the first <laughs> yeah. retroactive mm. no trade clause in team history, uh, in league history, league history yeah, yeah. dedicated to a fourth line center? Like, why is Tyler Myers making $6 million? Like the most generous assessment of Tyler Myers was he won't hurt you on the second pair. Well, you're paying $6 million for a defenseman who can't run a pair. Like you yeah. can't have only you a levy with Myers. You're going to get shell. So you're paying $6 million for a depth defenseman. Is that what you're telling me? Like these are mistakes that were mistakes. The moment they happened, it's not like you needed foresight. It's not like you're using hindsight. Like there were every indication that these moves would fail. Even the, the Michael Furland contract, I felt like, you know, Mugatu and Zoolander, like, ah, I'm taking crazy pills here because every, Everybody's like, well, it's not as bad as we thought it would be, right? And it's like, yeah, this is somebody who six months prior to signing this deal was telling the league, was telling everybody who would listen that he was afraid of his future. Like he was yeah. afraid yeah. of his long-term health. And, and like, gee, who could have seen that concussions would hinder his ability to contribute to the, concu the Canucks lineup? Like who could have seen that coming? You know, it, it's just like all these mistakes add up and, like, to me, it's just absurd that we're at a point where, like, Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, two of the top five players at their position, granted, they haven't shown that this year. I think, I, I don't want to speculate, but, like, something looks off with Quinn Hughes. I think he's hurt. I mean, he did have that yeah, maintenance yeah. day uh, last week, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, I think something's up there. Just speculating on on my part, uh, Elias Pettersson's just not playing well. But here's the thing: like that's going to happen. Like Jonathan Taves had, I think, 16 games once in the playoffs yeah, where he didn't happens. score. And guess what? If you have if you have people to pick up the slack, 
If you have depth, yeah. they can score fucking get goals. Yeah, like, exactly. This yeah. team has no depth, so if the top six is playing poorly, which, I mean, it is. I mean, no, you're not the top six is playing poorly. Like, three guys are playing poorly. Yeah. Your entire team is just done. Yeah, like, what, is Jay Beagle going to pick up that slack? And just to me, the idea that this is just, like, everybody's just accepted it, that the Canucks have to punt on an opportunity that most general managers would kill for. Like, if I was going to be a GM in the NHL, I cannot think of something that I would want more than Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes on entry-level deals. Like the idea that one would have to struggle and scratch and claw and surrender a, a bounty of futures. And let's be real, like the Canucks went all in just to make the playoffs last year, just to make the playoffs. Like it's insane to me that this market isn't apoplectic about the fact that this once in a lifetime opportunity is, is gone. And like the Canucks can, can salvage this season. I think that can be done. They can, they can get to the playoffs, but like, does anybody think this group is going to contend? And if so, like, geez, let me like, do I have something I can try to sell them for well above market value? Like, you know, like this is, it's, it's insane. Like how can you have these two premium assets for under 5 million combined and not build a contender? Like that is so bad to me. Like it should be a talking point every single day. Like, ah. Yeah, JD, I want to ask you more about the Nasak, but when you brought up the Toffoli stuff, it reminded me a lot of people around the Toffoli stuff, you know, he, the obsession of the last week, uh, him beating us so much, people are like, oh, well, he didn't have that big of an impact on the Canucks. He only played 10 games. It's like, wrong. He played 17 games if you count the playoffs, <laughs> but also. The Canucks just squeaked into the playoffs and probably wouldn't have if not for COVID mm -hmm. um, with the way that was going. Those last 10 games mattered. Well, yeah. And the like, other thing, too, oh, is yeah. you can't have it both ways. Like, you can't have it on the one hand, Jim was right to surrender a second round pick and and Tyler Madden because they needed Tyler to fully. And this was a smart move, actually. It's good to go all in on your first year of being kind of okay, decent-ish that thought cannot coexist with we didn't need him. Yeah, it's right. one or the other. Yeah, right? like it, yeah. it's one or the other. You can't have it both ways. Pick. Like you should want to have the guys that are rental guys all year long. Take your pick. Yeah. I, I didn't like that trade at the time. If they had re-signed him to the deal that Montreal assigned him to, I would have said, guess what? I was wrong. Yeah, this was a good deal. Nope. Yeah, yep. for sure. Yeah, we would also wouldn't have been relying fine. on a rookie to be holding down the second line. Yeah, like Niels, yeah. Niels Hoaglander shouldn't be here right now. Yeah, like, I, know, I think it's a I great know. story that he like he had a great capable. like his first couple games were great, but, but, but like I, like every time somebody was talk, uh, talking him up in the in the first couple of weeks, I just I keep thinking back to Jason King is like you know could be could have a great first few weeks, but like yeah, what happens when he has a slow like. He does look surprisingly good on that line, though. He, like, he, yeah, he's like, just, like Ronald Kennan's looked great, but then he just disappeared. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, right? Yeah. yeah. But he the, would, I would the, rather. I realize these are different spot. players, and like Hoaglander no, will be better than, but still. Well, like, well I mean, well, the, uh, Ronald Kennan still lives on in uh, in Blake Price's heart. So uh, one of my coworkers <laughs> is still carrying that torch. And then Sam Lou's closet. Yes. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Literally, he, he's just been hiding him in his closet. <laughs> he could um, probably afford it. <laughs> yeah. All right. He's just um, feeding him scraps. <laughs> yeah, he's like uh, Bart's true. evil twin. Yeah, yeah that, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Ronald's um, Kennedy's and Louis are fighting over scraps of food instead of fish yeah. heads. It's just like extras of grits and like hay alls. 
<laughs> um, I'm curious. Um, I mean, the big talking point today on Monday, the 25th was uh, the agent stuff, or I guess I was uh, starting last evening. Oh yeah, that's great. So yeah. since we're talking about PD and Hughes, oh, that's a good thing, yeah. could you, could you comment on that? Like uh, how much stock do you put into that? Yeah. Is um, there anything to the agent thing? Yeah. Mm. And context for people, uh, Elias Pedersen's agent, I don't know their name, but the contract with him is ending mm-hmm. at the end of this year. So he's lining up to go with uh yeah, he's going yeah. from Darren, or is it Todd Deutsch or Darren Deutsch? I can't remember. Something Deutsch uh, no to to Pat Brisson. And yeah, like I, I, I would be scared if I was a Canucks fan because <laughs> the, the previous agent for Elias Pettersson, the most valuable contract that he had negotiated was William Carlson's. Uh, Pat Brisson is like one of the everybody's power, agent. Yeah, he is like the power broker of the NHL. Like Nate McKinnon, Sidney Crosby, uh, yeah. like need I say more? Uh, mm-hmm. So like it's it's a bit daunting, I think, especially if you're Jim Benning, who, as we know, uh, hasn't necessarily excelled in the 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 realm of negotiations. And I think like there are a few different threads that you can try to connect here, right? So like uh, Satyar Shah from from station that I cannot name, but uh, you can take a guess at which one I'm talking about. Cause I want to yeah. give him credit cause he does good work yeah. and he's a friend, friend of mine. Of the show. Yeah. He's great. Uh, dude rules. Um, but he, he was saying that like when players were on their way out this off season, every one of them lamented the lack of communication. They felt like they weren't wanted. Um, and, and like that, that's unfortunate, whatever, but also sat went on today to say that, players that are still within this group don't know what the plan is. They don't know what is happening with this roster because you look at the, the kind of footprint that Jacob Markstrom had in that locker room. Uh, you look at the footprint of, of Chris Tanev, right? Like these are like, I, I don't think you have to always avoid paying for leadership. You just have to be judicious with it. And so if you're Quinn Hughes, you're going, oh, the person who, who uh, shepherded the beginning of my career is gone. Uh, you know, the person I called dad jokingly is gone. Uh, yeah. But Jay Beagle and Brandon Sutter are still here. Yeah. They, you know, or, or if you're Elias Pettersson, you go, the person I always leaned on, Jacob Markstrom is gone. But Jay Beagle and Tyler Myers are still here. Like, you, you're, you're probably wondering, like, does this team value leadership or do they only value leadership in spots? And if we're a contending team, like if, the, if we're serious about uh, making noise in the playoffs, like there's no way to square the circle of last season's moves where they traded a first and a third for Miller, all those assets for Toffoli. Like you can't square that year with what happened this summer. And it was up to the GM to communicate that plan to the players or their representatives so that they felt as if they were in the loop, I think. And so if you're Elias Pettersson and you're, you're feeling disillusioned and you don't know what's happening, well, I could see you looking at the situation and going, I need to look out for myself. Like this uh-huh. doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah. I don't know why I'm supposed to be on a team that is, is posturing as a contender that just shipped away a top five goaltender in the league. And so like, were the Canucks wise to walk away from that contract? Absolutely. But by that same token, like that's only because I know they're not a durable contender right now, but the message that they communicated, right. if with, they were a durable contender, then paying for that would be fine. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I yeah, think that it's this almost was ironic to be like, losing. 
if this team was Chicago and went on a deep run with your two big stars on ELC, you know, maybe you're probably set up to, you know, pay Markstrom, Mm -hmm. even though it's going to hurt in five years. Yeah, it's kind of ironic that we've been losing to the Habs a lot, a team that paid their goalie a lot of money. Yeah, like Um, these people are smart. They're not idiots. Well, okay, most hockey players are. Uh, I can say that. I played hockey my whole life. But um, like they're not stupid when it comes to hockey, though. What do you mean? Like that's yeah. the that's the one thing that they know. Like like I mean like they, they know like, their interests. Like they know, yeah. Like they're 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 not well they're not that's learned, nice. but they're but they're it's obvious to them. Like they there's sure obviously there's going to be cases where like they want you to pay some fourth line grinder because they love them so much or whatever. But first of all, that kind of stuff does actually matter to a certain extent. But it's also like any good hockey player is going to be able to tell if they're playing with other good hockey players. Yeah, for right? sure. Like, and, and they just show up to the, to the locker room and something's different. Yeah. And, mm. and I mean, no, no GM bats a thousand and no GM bats zero. Uh, but the, the thing with what's what we've seen kind of in, in this last little chunk of the Canucks um, sort of life cycle here is that, the, their old moves from years and years ago are now finally costing them in a situation where it actually matters. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like Jacob Markstrom, Chris Tanov, I don't like either of those deals. But in a let's say in a in a fantasy world where the Canucks maybe didn't trade Jared McCann, didn't uh, you know lock up a ton of money in guys like Erickson and Sutter and Beagle, and played played their cards a little bit better in free agency and had built up a team that was ready to take a step towards true contention. Are you going to fault them for signing their MVP caliber goalie for too long and too much money? No, no. you're not. That's just, you're just going to accept that as a reality of contending. And that's a, that's the thing. Like uh, people will say like, Oh, you get so mad that they signed all these bad contracts, but now you're mad that they didn't sign these other bad contracts well yeah if you're going to sign bad contracts at least give them to players who are a well liked in the city and in the locker room and b who are are or were good at some point don't just Mm -hmm. don't just throw four plus million dollars at brandon sutter who has never been a four million dollar player ever at any point in his career or jay beagle like we have yeah, five absolute guys. mirage of a player in Sutter, though. Yes. Yeah. yeah absolutely. I, I'm, so also, it's really funny that we've been talking about the Canucks cap situation for I think thirty minutes now. Jackson, that was the first time anyone has literally been mentioned. Louis Erickson. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and it's like the most flagship bad contract that immediate like everyone agreed by this point it would be bad. And it was never even good to begin with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the worst part <laughs> is one of those too, is like, like a tent pole bad contract. Yes. The worst yeah. part too, though, is that Louis Erickson is actually like kind of more value positive oh. than like a Sutter sure. or a Beagle oh, yeah. too. Like, because he's better when you compare him to like burying him on the taxi squad. He's better than that one point whatever like one and a hair million dollars that you free up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for they sure. They just need that space so badly. Yeah. That, that that's what they have to do. Yeah. So um, that's enough time on the Canucks because I want to move on to what is like probably the biggest uh, story in hockey right now, which is they, the uh, blockbuster Dubois for line a trade between the Winnipeg Jets and the Columbus Blue Jackets. I'll just start with the obvious uh, question, which is who won the deal? Uh, 
I don't know if there's like one clear loser here. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Like I, I think both teams came out of this look like pretty well relative to like the circumstances they were, they were facing. Like it's not often you can be forced to trade uh, like a high end top of the lineup player and recoup value. Like you're usually doomed to lose those deals. And so like, if you're Columbus, you got the second best pure goal scorer in your franchise's history, like overnight, like you, you lost a little bit at five on five, but I think Dubois was overstated in terms of his, his impact there. Like he's not the defensive player people think he is. Um, And, and then they've also got Jack Roslovic, who I think can give a bit more than we've seen thus far in Winnipeg. Like he's not just a throw in, like he can be a middle six center. So like, I think if you're, if you're Columbia, Columbus, a team that doesn't score a lot of goals, a team that has had an awful power play for like what, three, four years, basically since the Canucks signed uh, Sam Gagne away from them, (laughs) believe it or not. Um, Like, this adds value, right? And of course you hate to see you, your team lose a player at a premium position, which center ice is, uh, but, but it's, it's really hard to see a scenario where they could have done better in dealing Dubois. Like the, the Canadians were not going to part with Nick Suzuki and, and all the power to them. Like that's, that's probably the right move. And, and I think if you're Winnipeg, uh, you've got the rare player who, you know, like I don't think Dubois is going to want out from Winnipeg anytime soon, right? Yeah, that's true. Like that's a, his, that's a his, very good point. His, I know, didn't even think of that. His dad is an assistant coach with, um, with the with the Manitoba Moose, and and he's got roots in in Manitoba to some degree outside of that, right? So like. I think that this is a really good fit for the team. It's culture as well. Like having somebody, you know, like it means a lot to Winnipeg when they find people who want to be there. Like, I, I think there's a reason Blake Wheeler is so revered, right? Like he's very serious and carries himself in a way that they want other players to emulate. And I think that Pierre-Luc Dubois for whatever didn't work out in, in Columbus. And what a strange coincidence that all these players who, uh play for tortorella don't want to stick around i wonder what that's about anyway uh so like he's he's there now he's not going anywhere and they've got a a really nice window to negotiate a long-term deal and it really helps them down the middle too right like uh stastny shifley and and dubois is a hell of a one two three punch down the middle of your lineup like the the only thing that kind of uh sticks out for me is like yeah, I guess there's never really a bad time to acquire a player of Pierre-Luc Dubois caliber, but I just look at that blue line in Winnipeg and I'm just like, oof, they're still not very close to contending, but you know what? A lot can change like in a year, right? Like, And maybe that opens up the possibility of trading one of their mm-hmm. other like many very good forwards for uh like maybe there's a possibility that Chevel Dayoff can pull off a Ryan Johansson for Seth Jones type deal now that he has this other great forward adding at but he's shovel day done his one trade per decade so yeah, yeah <laughs> that's yeah, true fair. Yeah. <laughs> fair i mean like the other thing too like my prospect brain is like oh this is perfect because now cole perfetti doesn't need to play center uh their first round pick <laughs> in 2020 yeah like that's that's huge <laughs> because with his skating like it, it was always iffy on if that was going to work in the nhl anyway so like I, I really think both teams can walk away from this feeling pretty good about themselves. Like I think the the ceiling is probably higher in in Columbus because 
two assets for one. And one of them has already scored like 40 goals, right? Like he, he can get to another level and, and perhaps torts is the one to bring that out in him. But uh, I think, you know what, just in terms of like, if they played a game tomorrow, like I probably say Winnipeg got the best of it, but again, it's so close that it almost doesn't matter who won or lost. Fair enough. What I want to know about is why. So I heard that this trade was kind of in talks for a few months now. Why was Line A being shopped? Not shopped, but like he wanted what out. What was the purpose of? Okay, so I, could you? I don't know the context there. So there was actually a report today that that came out that indicated that um, Mark Shifley and and Blake Wheeler, speak of the devil, uh, weren't mm-hmm. especially receptive to Patrick Line because of how uh, like aloof he was. Like the, there was a belief among some of the people within that leadership group that Line A didn't take the game seriously enough. And when you look at his defensive numbers, well, eh, fair, uh, you know, so they, they, they kind of, it, the report is that Line A felt alienated and, and that Paul Maurice couldn't really rein that group in. Uh, you know, mm. so I think he just found himself feeling as if he was like uh, not part of that group and not welcomed in that culture. And, and the other thing, too, is like line A, this one, I, I don't really know how to, to really slice it because like the data shows that line A played a lot with really good centers. Like there's no yeah. evidence that he wasn't playing top six minutes, right? Like the, it just doesn't exist in reality. But for line A, one of his consistent beefs in, in Winnipeg was that he had to play either third line or second line. And it's just... I, I don't know. Like they're just something was wrong with that mix. And uh, I think he just wants to be the guy. Yeah. You know? And and with his talent, you can, you can justify that. And so I think, you know, you look, I look, I've seen, I've looked at his minutes too and who he's played with and stuff. And it didn't seem uh, that out of line by any means, but, but at the same time, you could see how a guy who scored 40 goals in this league would say, would be thinking like, why are you not getting me out at every opportunity to score more goals? And I also think that from Paul Maurice's perspective, from the Winnipeg Jets perspective, it's because they don't have to, because they have all kinds of great forwards. Mm -hmm. So if line A's goal is just to go somewhere and play as much as possible and score as much as possible, Columbus makes a lot of sense because they don't have that guy. Whereas, whereas Winnipeg, like, yeah, line is a special goal scoring talent or whatever, but they have a bunch of guys who you can just very easily be like, well, if you don't want to back check or you don't want to look like you give a shit, then, you know, we'll just go to Ehlers or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for yeah. sure. There's so many guys I like barely remember the names of who score like 20 goals a year. Well, we can yeah. remember yeah. some guys. <laughs> the other thing that I wanted to that I wanted to get into here, too, is um, like both. Dubois and Line were, um, you know, fa- fairly roundly criticized uh, in the media leading up to this trade for different reasons and at different points. And, um, you know, we're we're starting to see some criticism creep in of Elias Pettersson now uh, in the market, um, which I think is it's actually been you know, people in this market, they just freak out as soon as you say anything about Elias Pettersson. And mm-hmm. he hasn't played well. No. And I think that the level of criticism has been at the level you would expect 
for a guy who played as well as he did in his first two seasons, who now appears to be struggling for the first time. It hasn't been non-existent, but it's been it's been there and it's, but it's, it has, it also hasn't been ridiculous either. Uh, at least, I mean, I did see one person who suggested that this was because Elias Pettersson spent too much time on Instagram last uh, off season, which is one of the stupidest things I've ever seen. But other than that, it's been pretty reasonable. Um, he was ungrailed. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I know also that you and I had a conversation about the Jakob Voracek stuff that we talked about on the last episode. And so something that I want, I want I'll open the discussion up to all of you, but I'll get your answer first, J.D. Like, at what point does the player first kind of I side with the players over the ownership and the management? Obviously, you know, that's the right viewpoint to have. I think we would all agree with that. But at what point does it start to... Like, do you start the, to cross the line into just babying these guys and kind of falling into the hero worship a bit? Because I look at, like, for example, that Dubois shift in mm-hmm. Columbus, and obviously he played tons of shifts in Columbus and he was a good player for most of them. But I look at that shift and it's impossible to not think, like, what are you trying to sabotage our chances of moving you somewhere that you want to go? Like, if you want to get moved, why aren't you? Why don't you try to play well? You know, like, I, I, I think that for all three of these guys, at least I never and and uh, Voracek as well, actually, like I never saw um, it could just be that I'm not seeing it, but I didn't see anyone really prominent get ridiculous about it. It all seemed pretty above board, but you start to see fans really freak out about it. And I was just wondering if you kind of think that maybe there's a point where we sort of cross the line into just defending these guys before the criticism has even gotten to a point where it makes sense to defend them. Yeah. I mean, like uh, I got a few thoughts on this one. The first is like, people need to reevaluate how they, they respond and and interact with power more broadly. Like it's really fascinating. Uh, The, the way that everybody, well, not everybody, but I think a, a large segment of, of reporters and fans alike just, are completely blind to power dynamics and the way that they interact with, with people's decision-making and, 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 and things to that effect, right? Like there was a broadcast this weekend where uh, one of the reporters uh, was like, (laughs) the Canucks fans can pressure you into some bad moves. And it's like, excuse me, like, who do you think holds the power in that relationship? The Like what? (laughs) Like, are you high? has all the power. Like, are, what is happening here? And and the same thing with the the Jakob Voracek and and the reporter thing. It's like I ultimately think that like a lot of the discussion about that was just overcooked in general. Like, it, it doesn't matter. Like, people get mad yes, at each yes. other. Like, yeah. wh- whatever. Yeah. Who gives a shit? I agree. But like, ultimately, like if if you're siding with Voracek, I want you to ask yourself this: like, if that was Charlie O'Connor on the other end of that rant would you have been okay with it? And Charlie O'Connor is my mm. friend who covers uh, the flyers for the athletic Philadelphia. The answer for me, I'd be is, pissed if somebody talked to you that way. Yeah. Well, like straight up, I would Yeah, like, you're yeah. like, what the fuck man? Chill. Like out. if Brandon Sutter said that about JD or something. Yeah. 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 And I'd be like, chill dude. It's, it's just like wildly inappropriate. And I don't know which workspace people think that's acceptable behavior. Mm. And that's true. like yeah. the, the one comment that I do have to say about the workspace analogy. I mean, I realize this is a workspace, but mm it's not a normal one by any means is that there's no workspace in which the things the media says about players would ever fly either. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. So I think this does cut both <laughs> yeah. ways. Yeah, yeah. That's, and, that's reasonable. And I think, 
I think it's it's also worth noting that my problem isn't that Voracek wanted to respond to what may have very well been like some some serious bullshit reporting. Again, if it's, it was Phil Kessel saying this to Simmons, that, that would be, be hilarious. Fun. Yeah, it would. And and there is a point where guys probably do deserve it. But it's just it's more to me just a question of like, like, I don't know enough about that situation. But to me, if if that w- it was a case of like he just let it boil over and he never said anything. And then that was what came out. He handled it poorly. Now, if yeah. that's if that's yeah. the end of a story, that began with, hey, I really didn't like this thing you wrote about me. I thought it was unfair. And then another time of, hey, this is incorrect. And then another time of, look, if you keep writing stuff like this about me, I'm going to have to respond. And then this happened. Then good for Jacob Voracek. Yeah. But just from my perspective, what I'm seeing, it just seems like a guy who can't handle being criticized. And if you can't handle being criticized and you are a million, like, multi-million dollar a year athlete you're in the wrong fucking business like i get criticized all the time and i have a podcast with 600 listeners and jd like it's the same thing with you like you are the managing editor of a of a yeah of a like medium-sized hockey uh website publication sure let's go and like we yeah and 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 we get shit on constantly and it's not like and i'm not here whining about it like i'm just saying like that's the reality and i've accepted it and if i don't like it i can do something else and that's kind of how i feel about these players well like yeah. I, the thing too is like there was a template for how to deal with this like i think austin mm-hmm. matthews like for one i think you you're a bit of a baby if you think that steve simmons was wrong to report that matthews had uh covid-19 had contracted covid-19 over the summer right like yeah. How is yeah. that off? That, of that is news. Yeah, that's news. Sorry. And Steve Simmons is not a doctor, so HIPAA does not apply. <laughs> Precisely. And so, like, I think that for one, there wasn't a real beef to be had there. But Matthews said to him, he expressed that he wasn't particularly fond of that coverage and then just moved on. Like, yeah. and, and that's the thing. Like, that's all. Like, is anybody talking about this? If Jakob Voracek is like, you know what, Mike, I, I haven't been especially fond of the way that you have covered uh, my time in Philadelphia. Uh, in, in fact, I will be declining a request for comment. Like, I, I don't think I have issue with that. Like that's it's totally like more fine. of a mic drop too. Yeah. It's more of a mic. Drop. It's like, yeah, it's like, Makes yeah, look I, I just, it, it's, it's more like, it's like, yeah, I, I disagree with you, but you're not in my head. I just don't like you. And the other thing, too, is like people's <laughs> conception of what is and isn't fair. Like, I hate to to sound like, oh, my God, I, I'm like bringing all of my interests, like all the synapses are, are firing off. Uh, <laughs> no. Not to go Dude, like yeah. Glenn Greenwald here, but like you have to be willing <laughs> to accept that like this goes both ways. And like mm-hmm. there there's a point where you like if you're a reporter there is a line right and i don't know if this person crossed that line like to me manish meta the reporter who covered the new york jets and got fired a month ago i was fascinated with him for like a week now you want to talk about crossing the line it's making personal comments it's making character judgments it's it's not what i've seen from mike sealski i'm sorry and like you can't just be okay with this behavior when it's unleashed upon somebody you don't care about, because then eventually that's going to be, uh, you know, hopefully not, but like, maybe it'll be, I don't know, like Sarah Sivian, or maybe it'll be 
yeah. uh, you know, mm-hmm. like or Tom or Tom or Patrick or Pat or all kinds of guys that, that I like yeah. that are nice guys. Like, like uh, yeah. And I don't or gals or, or gals, ladies. whatever. Like, I don't want this to happen like that. And, and the thing is, too, like, again, evaluating the power dynamics there. Like, what can Mike Sealski do to defend himself in that spot? Yeah. The answer is yeah. absolutely nothing. So it's not even a particularly fair medium. Um, and, and I just haven't seen anything from Sealski's reporting to indicate that that was even warranted, you know, like I've, I've done some reporting that I know the Canucks hate. I still, I can like look them in the eyes when I run into them at a rink, you know? Yeah. And I, I see them all the time and they don't hate me because if you don't make it personal, like I've got two rules. I was talking to somebody about this today. It was like, I don't make it personal and I don't uh, call for people's jobs. Yeah. And they're like, well, right. then nobody can get mad at you. And it's like, yeah, those that's you solved it. You solved the puzzle. Well, no one real can get mad. <laughs> yeah, at nobody you. Can, nobody <laughs> who matters yeah. can get mad at you because like, yeah. yeah, you have to accept at a certain point that you are like a part of your job is being a public entity. Yeah, that people are going to comment on it and they're not going to you're not going to like everything that people say where the workplace analogy comes back in is that you do have to treat people professionally, which means. I mean, I think what you said is a perfect encapsulation of it. Like, don't get personal and don't call for people's jobs. Yeah, like it's it's the level of criticism here compared to any other workplace is obviously way broader, but it's fine as long as it's professional. Yeah, like I, I can tell you right now, like the things that have occurred in my mentions are worse than anything I will ever in my entire life have to report. Yeah, and I've just I had to accept that, you know, too, just as a as like a, on a, um, as a sort of counterexample here, I guess. Like I've worked in the service industry for a decade, right? And obviously, yeah, I don't uh, face the level of scrutiny that uh, an NHL player does. But at the same time, I can go on Urban Spoon. I can go on Yelp. I can go on all these kinds of websites and see people reviewing my performance as a line cook. I, I can do that. I can go online and see people reviewing the performance of my front of house staff when I, um, when right. I worked at places that, that had a front of house staff. like And... Like it's reasonable to expect a certain amount of criticism. I am not like I don't get mad that people out there are writing that about me. It's it's it is like in a smaller, in a much, much, much smaller scale. It is basically the same thing. And as like somebody who is a worker, the only thing I ask for is just that like I don't ask not to get criticized. I asked I get uh, or I ask for people to be respectful. And if someone spoke to me that way, I would be pissed. I would be like, well, what the fuck, man? I'm just trying to do my yeah. job. But anyways, I don't want to uh, spend any more time on that because we got to get to dessert. I want to talk about Tony D. Um, you guys ready to talk about Tony D? <laughs> Weren't you supposed to have quads on for this? <laughs> <laughs> no, but we should have quads on soon, actually. Quad father. Um, yeah. Uh, like, I still need to be convinced that this was him, man. So for, for those of you that aren't aware, there is... Um, a little account that has popped up over Tony the Dooch. past couple de- days that is called NYC Guido Voice. <laughs> yeah, at NYRFAD <laughs> 92360244. Okay, so um, some of our... some Where some, do they get the numbers from? <laughs> I don't know. Do um, they go through some other service that makes the account for them? And it's I don't all, know. Like, That's what? a good I question. Think, as someone who's made like a few Twitter accounts, I think it shows up I only up have as... one, so I don't know anything. I think right. right. I think it's, I think if you when I made the Roxy Fever account, the only other Twitter account I've ever made, 
it suggested like Roxy nine seven three two. I was like, yeah, oh. no. Um, you know what surprised me was the absence of of more yeah, so. eights, maybe a four. <laughs> yeah, maybe a one. <laughs> maybe a one front of at the some point. Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> maybe a forty five together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, so the account is, I think, like it's fairly obviously Tony D'Angelo. No. Um, How do we know this? Okay. So here's, here is the evidence. So the obvious, the, the, the obvious thing that got people noticing was that this account popped up not too far after Tony D announced that he was leaving Twitter and ex- has a, like, it exists solely to defend him. It's the, the only tweets that like he's tweeted four times from his regular account and the rest are all replies. And basically every reply is either him just getting in an argument with someone about whether or not it's okay to say Guido and and insisting that he's not Tony D'Angelo or defending Tony D'Angelo. The two genders. Yes. (laughs) Being Tony D'Angelo and defending Tony D'Angelo. So there are like over 50 replies of him just being like, don't talk about Tony that way. And like, blah, blah, blah. Hey, whoa, pal. (laughs) But the real... He puts puts up numbers. He's not like a sixth defenseman on the Rangers. No, but he's also a notorious crybaby. And crank and psychopath. Yeah. Yeah. All the yeah, bad like things. going back, going back to junior. Like I remember, uh, this was one of those few instances where the whole uh, he has bad character stuff heading into a draft was completely correct. Like uh, getting suspended for directing uh, homophobic slurs at another player is bad enough. It's even Oof. worse when that player is your teammate, and the ref <laughs> overhears it on the ice and is the yeah. one dishing out punishment. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, but the real like the real uh, nail in the coffin here is that somebody uh, gumshoe reporting going on. Mm-hmm. Someone w- somehow found his IP address and it was in Pittsburgh and it was on a night that the Rangers were playing the Penguins. Um, so there's definitely some circumstantial evidence here. I'm not ready to say that it's definitely him, but like, come on. Think about how stupid tony d'angelo so is dumb. like yeah he's so incredibly dumb so i thought we would play a game uh called nyr fan or nyc guido <laughs> yes <laughs> i'm in oh so, so we're gonna i love gonna, a classic game <laughs> it's not a, it's not really a game because it's gonna be fairly obvious but uh we'll we'll do some juxtaposing here so uh Tony has only tweeted or sorry, NYR fan has only tweeted four times from from his account. That's in terms of real tweets and not replies. So I'm just going to read them out here um, and, uh, you know, we'll uh, I'll follow. I'll, I'll alternate and we'll see, you know, what what people think. So for the record, since for some pe- reason people keep saying this, I'm not Tony D'Angelo, just someone who's sick of him being criticized by people who know nothing about the game of hockey. And then we also have. I deny these accusations being made by my fingertips. So that one is obviously Tony D. I think so. Yeah, that is what he's saying. That is basically what he's saying. That is literally what he's saying. Yeah. Life mirrors art. With not so many letters and not so many numbers either. That's basically what he's saying. For the people commenting and messaging me, you know, Guido is a racial slur, right? 
That's clearly an NYC Guido voice tweet. <laughs> and uh, like okay. that, when I saw that one, I was like, cannot be real. And then this is this is again, I'll leave it up to you guys to guess. This one is, uh, hey, here's how you fix the racism problems in this country. You just long string of censor beeps. <laughs> bada bing, more beeps. Bada boom. Easy duccio. <laughs> if you guess Tony, that's D'Angelo, just Tony D endorsing Trump's anti-racism plan. That's yeah. right. Yes. I was going to guess at Quadrelli, but no. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, My account is currently being hacked at Twitter. First, losers went in and changed my account name, bio, tweets, etc. Now I can't reply to direct messages. Censorship, two question marks, at Jack. I honestly can't tell the difference. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, here's another one. Uh, Gets carpal tunnel from twirling spaghetti, blames it on only time using computer to Google porn at the library. I knew these computers was bad. Um, And uh, finally, I have never tweeted about Olive Garden. I don't follow Olive Garden. Why is everyone asking me about Olive Garden? Like, Jackson, I thought you made these when I first saw uh, them. I thought this was you. Most hated places. One, Boston. Two, Abracadabra. Three, Palookaville. Four, the jerk store. And five, the Olive Garden that wouldn't honor the endless Brexit rule. (laughs) So obviously, um, you know, always got to shout out NYC Guido voice. But there was literally a corresponding tweet for each of his tweets. Yeah. Yeah. I looked through. We're the only podcast who could have done that for you. And I was like, ah, there's no way I'll find one for all four. But I did. (laughs) Much like drill. um, There's always one. There's always one. Yeah. So. Um, to close things off, uh, it's Elliot's birthday, everybody. And happy birthday, Elliot. Yeah. Thank you. Happy Wonderful. Birthday, turning Elliot. 31 years so there's old. There's me saying it. There's JD saying it. There's Jackson saying it. Yeah. And I hope you don't mind that I told everyone how uh, old you are because it's going to come up again. Um, but, you know, normally uh, you play voicemails for us. But uh, today we have a voicemail for you. And, um, you know, it's uh, just a nice little happy birthday message. Um, You know, I I think from all of us at the Roxy Fever family, Mm -hmm. we're very grateful to have you. And we appreciate you being the TA to the special (laughs) needs class that is Roxy Fever. (laughs) Uh, I have nothing to do with that statement, just so we're clear. Hi, Elliot. How are you? It's Al Murdoch, public address announcer for your Vancouver Canucks. Uh, your buddy Vios reached out to me here on Cameo to let me know that not only are you Fort Langley's most famous son, a co-host of the Roxy Fever podcast, an avid kayaker, and a valued employee at the Battery Factory, but that today <laughs> is also your birthday. Well, Elliot, I just wanted to reach out and take a second to wish you a very happy birthday and send out a personalized goal announcement just for you on your special day. All right, you ready? Vancouver goal is 31st, scored by Elliot Hoyt. The assist to Vios and all of us in Canucks Nation. Time of the goal, 125. Ah. Woo! Ah. Woo! Happy birthday, Elliot. <laughs> Have a great day. And remember, we are all Canucks. Oh my god! Holy shit, you guys, that's awesome! <laughs> yeah, happy birthday, buddy! Um, oh man! On that note, uh, 
Thanks for listening, everybody. You can follow me on Twitter at FailsonMcDonald. You can follow me at Vyasaran. You can follow me at Muskayak. Uh, you can follow me at uh, NYRFan45. Uh, <laughs> um, That's right. Q488. Uh, no, J. Dylan Burke. <laughs> All right. Yes. And on that note, uh, send requests for proof of identity to at nyrfan92360244 and uh, enjoy the game tonight everybody Shake my body, bone in the red side.